0: Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to begin a new year, 2024, with the week of one epiphany. In Sunday terms, it's called the first Sunday after the epiphany, the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not what we're talking about in uh, in the scriptures in this post, but just to let you know that uh, epiphany Day begins on January the 6th, and that is a movable date because it's always January the 6th. The baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ always occurs after January the 6th. So if January the 6th is on a Tuesday, the baptism of Jesus is a Sunday lectionary reading on the following Sunday. If it's on a Saturday, it's the next day. Uh, the seventh would be uh, the case. So we celebrated the Epiphany, uh, the coming of the Magi, they're visiting Jesus. Now we are in the week of Epiphany, which speaks to us about the appearing, Epiphanos, the Greek word is Epiphanos, the appearing of Jesus. So he makes one of his first appearances in his baptism. Now, the baptism, as you know, is between uh, John the Baptist's cousin, six months older. We saw that in Luke 1 and 2 when we prepared ourselves for Christmas in the Advent season. And John begins his ministry six months early and prepares the people for the coming of the Lord. Jesus comes. He's baptized. And so we are in entering the season of Epiphany. Remember, we have Advent, we have Christmas, and then we have Epiphany. We're going to be celebrating Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and uh, sharing the gospel. Now, look at the scriptures in your uh, post this week. You'll see that we are beginning to study three phenomenal books. They are the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, and the book of John, which is the gospel of John. So John is a very, very profound book. Hebrews was written by we do not know whom, but it's a phenomenal text located at the end of the Bible. And Genesis, of course, is located at the beginning of the Bible, the very first book. And all three are very important. So you're going to enjoy the next several weeks of studying Genesis and Hebrews and John. All right, let's dive right in. Now, we begin with Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 2, 3, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first words of the Bible. And so, it is imperative to understand the importance of God Almighty being the creator of the universe. He creates the heavens and he creates the earth. There are many different religions out there that uh, talk about other types of creation or how we got here. Uh, The Jewish um, religion and Judaism and Christianity say that it is God who creates the heavens and the earth. Islam also says the same thing in the Quran that God is the creator. So that is a very important thing. He creates the heavens and the earth and then we see the rest of that first chapter, which I encourage you to read, on the first day, on the second day, on the third day, etc. When we get to verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God is our creator. God is the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth. And he said... um, To male and female, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So we have the creation. And in chapter 2, we have God resting on the Sabbath. God blessed the seventh day, chapter 2, verse 3, and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, there ends the creation of the universe and our creation, male and female. Genesis 2, 4 through uh, 25, we have the institution of of the creation of man. Verse 7, it's a fantastic verse. The Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a human being. Now, this is not... This is man, this is Adam. Eve has not been created yet, okay? Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east of Eden and there he put the man he had formed. Eight, okay? In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15 of chapter two, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work in it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, as long as Adam did not do that, did not break that commandment, he was fine. He could do anything he wanted to do, but he can't eat from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord pointed it out to him. So, he's very clear to Adam. The Lord said in verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam in verse 21. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So, Eve was not made out of the dust of the ground came out of Adam. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, you've probably heard this many times in your life, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Okay, so the creation of the heavens and the earth, the creation of Adam, the creation of Eve, the injunction not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and of course this wonderful um, marriage imperative at the end of chapter two. Now chapter three, unfortunately, is not a positive chapter for man. We have the serpent, we have the fall of man, extraordinarily important uh, chapter, chapter three of Genesis, and they, um, they sinned against the Lord. The serpent came to uh, the woman and the woman ate, gave it to her husband. He ate, and it was downhill from there. God finds out about it as you're looking through that great third chapter. Who told you that you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. So blamed her, and the Lord said to the woman in verse 13, what have you done? The dis- The serpent deceived me and I ate. And that's why you and I sinned. The serpent deceived me and I ate. I was deceived into doing wrong. Not every time and every sin, of course, but deception is a very key play. And desire. The desire was to eat and they were told not to and they did. As you read through the rest of the chapter, you'll see the curses that God put on the serpent and upon Adam and upon Eve. Very powerful, very sad. And then um, the Lord said, The man has now become one of us, knowing good and evil. Verse 22, he must not allow to reach out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished them from the garden of Eden to work from the ground which he had taken. And so they took him, they cast him out of the garden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life because if they'd eaten from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. So now they're going to die. They're going to die. In chapter four, we have the very famous Cain and Abel. Now these chapters in Genesis one are very rich. You could spend a tremendous amount of time talking about them. They are very important. Cain and Abel, the death of Abel, Cain kills Abel. Abel has a positive sacrifice for the Lord. Cain does not. Cain kills his brother. Uh, He famously says, am I my brother's keeper? And um, we have the slaying of um, Cain in a very, very serious thing. Very serious. Um, Adam laid laid with his wife again in verse 25. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 26, saying, Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So in chapter 6, we have the flood, Noah. You can read about the genealogy in chapter 5 and remember the famous flood with Noah. And the wickedness of man was quite phenomenal in verse 5. The Lord saw all man how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was truly evil all the time. So I'm going to wipe mankind out, verse 7, whom I've created from the face of the earth. I'm grieved that I have made them. And so the second half of chapter 6, Noah is raised up. Noah is a righteous man. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the peoples of the earth had corrupted their ways. And so the famous, very famous story, and that is the story of Noah and the ark. God told him to build an ark, and he established a covenant with him, and Noah did everything that the Lord had commanded him, verse 22. So in this extraordinary array of chapters, which are very important for the rest of the Bible, we have God's creation, we have creating... um, Adam, we have creating Eve out of Adam. We have the institution of marriage. We have the uh, injunction not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you shall surely die. They did do that. They died. The Garden of Eden was closed to them. Cain kills Abel. And from then, man was now going to die. Uh, And then we have the corruption of man and the destruction through the flood. Um, And so Noah builds an ark and prepares for the flood. Hebrews chapter one. Now Hebrews is a very profound teaching and it is a very profound book and it's quite frankly pretty difficult. Uh, It is not an easy text, so if you have some problems reading this text, uh, that's understandable. We start with Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 14, which is a great scripture on Sunday to read. It's a beautiful scripture. might want to meditate on that. Very different from Hebrews, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but a beautiful opening chapter, very powerful words from Ephesians. Now, here's the situation with the Hebrews. Number one, the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. We do not think it was Paul. We think it was a very, very wise Sophisticated, very intelligent person that was a Jewish Christian, maybe someone like Apollos. There are a lot, some people do believe it's Paul. There are lots of possibilities. The writer of the Hebrews is writing the letter to encourage the Jewish Christians to continue in their faith. There is a possibility from the writer's perspective. That they could backslide and return to their Judaism or their former religion, Judaism. And so what he's doing throughout these chapters is he's, he's showing how Jesus is significantly significantly greater than all the Jewish customs and the rules and the people, which would include Moses and Joshua and Aaron and David. And he's going to work through that. He's going to show how great Jesus is so that it would be unwise for them to go back to their former ways. And it would be wise to stay in Christ and develop their relationship with Christ. So there's lots of warnings and there's lots of Old Testament texts. So the person that reads Hebrews has got to know the Old Testament pretty well. And then this extraordinary relationship with Jesus that needs to be fostered and needs to um be a major part of their lives is a beautiful uh, text um uh in hebrew so let me go through this fairly quickly with you in the past god spoke to our forefathers chapter one verse one through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he's appointed heir of all things through whom he made the universe the sun is the radiance of God's glory, he's the exact representation of his being, he sustains all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Seven things there that Jesus has done. The power of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus. He is a creator of the universe, he is the radiance of God's glory. He is exact representation of the being of God. No one else can say that, of course. He sustains everything by his word. He is sustaining the universe. He has provided purification for sins. Only he could do that. And he is seated at the right hand of God. No one else sits in that place. So he's showing the supremacy of Christ and the greatness of Christ. And then he establishes that through the scriptures in the rest of the chapter. In chapter 2, we must pay careful attention, verse 1, to what we've heard so that we may not drift away. There it is. We cannot drift away. We need, to pay, we need to listen to what the writer is saying so that as the Holy Spirit leads the writer to speak to them and to us, we will not drift away. Okay? And so he says verse 2 of chapter 2. If the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The, this salvation was first announced by the Lord. It was confirmed by those who heard him. God testified it to by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to his will. He's already proven it. He's shown it to us. We don't need to be drifting away and looking at other things and looking at other options. There is no other option that's viable as compared to this one. God has testified it, God has concerned it, uh, has has confirmed it. How should we escape if we ignore such a great if and of course it's the answer is we can't escape. If we ignore this salvation, we are eternally lost. He continues to build that idea as we go through the scriptures in chapter 2. We see Jesus in verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. He's magnified. We see that in Revelation. Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that our sins would be forgiven by putting our trust in Christ and following Christ as Lord and Savior. So that you and I might, by the grace of God, Jesus would atone, atone for our sins. Okay, verse 14, since the children of chapter two, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. The devil is very powerful in this world. Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil and only one that could. He has made atonement for the sins of the people at the end of verse 17 of chapter two. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So the person that you want to call out to in your temptation, in my temptation to sin against God, is Jesus. Okay. Now look at chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, verse 1, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Okay, that's going to be the call of this epistle. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He was faithful to the ones who appointed him, just as Mo. oh, there's Moses, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found, verse 3, worthy of greater honor than Moses. And then he explains to you why. We have scriptures to warn us against unbelief. Today, if you uh, hear his voice, verse 7, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, this is back in the Old Testament when they rebelled against God. Encourage one another daily, verse 13 of chapter 3. Encourage one another daily. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart, okay? Unbelief, unbelief, disobedience will keep you out of the kingdom of God. So it is important to believe and it's important to obey. It's important to repent of our sins and to follow Christ. Following Christ means that you believe and you obey what he is saying. He makes that very clear in Hebrews, very important. Finally, on Saturday, we're looking at Hebrews 4, 1 to 13, which is very, very powerful, okay? Therefore, verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Don't Don't fall short of what God has for you. Again, another warning. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But this is the they is in the Old Testament when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and uh, did not enter the land. But because they did not hear the message that was preached by Moses. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So you have to have faith, which means that you believe the word of God, you believe the gospel, and you do the gospel. Okay. Again, he goes back to the Old Testament uh, references as we see in chapter one, two, and three. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I said that a few minutes ago. Uh, This is chapter four, verse seven. And then we have the great last couple of verses uh, in this week. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So you want the word of God to cut into you. You want the word of God to come in you and separate and speak to you. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, verse 13, and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We're gonna give an account of our lives. You want to be doing what God says. You want to repent of your sins. You want to trust in Christ. You want to follow Christ. You want to obey Christ. You want to produce good fruit. The Word of God needs to be shared, listened to, and put into effect. This is why I'm going through this with you every week, through these 21 readings. Okay? What does the Word of God say? Enjoy your reading this week. Enjoy your study. Think about these words that are written. Let the Word of God come into you and work in your life. Now, nothing in all creation is hidden, folks. Everything's going to be uncovered and laid bore, bare before the eyes in whom we must give account. You're going to have to give an account to God. I want you to be ready. You need to know the word of God. You need to read these scriptures, okay? And I hope this is helpful for you on a weekly basis. Continuing on, talk about helpful. John's Gospel, extraordinary book. You can hardly do better than Genesis, Hebrews, and John. I, I don't know how you could do better than those three texts. An epistle, a, uh, an Old Testament reading, and a gospel reading. All right. What we've got is the prologue in chapter 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who is the Word? He says that this person, through him all things were made. So he is also creator without him, nothing was made that has been made, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So that idea of life, death, light, darkness, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness is not understood. And so the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, that is Jesus. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So this is John the Apostle, arguably the closest to Jesus, and he has this extraordinary book called the Gospel of John. So John, it, his cousin, is testifying to Christ, and so this extraordinary 1 to 18 is about who Christ is and what he's come to do and his His nature, which is light, life, the word of God, creator, dispelling the darkness, saving people from the fullness of grace. We've all received one blessing after another. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known, okay? Jesus has made us known, the only Son has made him known. So if you wanna know who God the Father is that we see in the Old Testament, you receive Christ. If you want to be saved, you receive Christ, okay? So he sets it up beautifully. And then after that, John the Baptist is asked whether he is the Christ or not in the following verses. Very famously, he says in verse 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when Jesus is coming toward him. Why is he coming toward him? Because he's going to be baptized. Remember I said that earlier. Okay? The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and testified that is the Son of God. So his cousin, John, is testifying that Jesus is the Son of God, um, that he's going to say later in uh, chapter 3 of John that he must be I must increase, uh, he must increase, and I must decrease. He recognizes who Jesus is and who John is in relationship to him. Okay? And so, John is a forerunner, John the Baptist. He's the one that's telling us about Jesus. Jesus now comes, and uh, he wants to be received. He wants us to receive him and hear his word. And throughout that first chapter, we have the calling of Philip and Nathaniel, we have the call of Andrew and Peter. So he's now calling his disciples. He's encouraging encouraging them to come and see him. In chapter 2, we have the very famous turning water into wine. And I love what Mary says in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. If you do whatever Jesus tells you, you're going to be fine. But the problem is we like to do our own thing. And that's what happened in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis, as we said earlier in the program. They went and did their own thing after God told them not to they did not do what God told them and they got in very serious trouble and sin entered the world. Okay. Romans chapter five, he clears the temple at the end of chapter two. And, um, he's upset with the way they're managing his father's temple. Of course, they didn't understand who his father was at the time. So this is going to be a a recurring theme throughout John, this tête-à-tête between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Jesus and the temple and who God is and who Jesus is in relationship to God. Stay tuned. Well, as I said at the beginning of the program, this is an extraordinary time of learning. I hope that you will read slowly, enjoy. This is a great beginning to our new year together. I pray that 2024 will be a great year for you and growth in Christ. May the Lord bless our program abundantly and continue to use it to show um, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit what God is saying in his word. May this be a great year for you in your growth in Christ through his holy word. God bless you. Next week, we'll look at the week of Second Epiphany.